Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me today, and I pray this will be a blessing to you. Today, we're going to continue and possibly conclude our series on Babylon to Bethlehem, the thousand-mile homage made by these people known as the Magi. And the story is found in Matthew chapter 2. So today we're going to look at the mysterious journey. I want to just review for a moment. In lesson one, we looked at what the scripture tells us about who these visitors were, where they came from, and why they felt compelled to come. And where do they come? That's where we're going to go today. Lesson chapter two, we looked at why they came and the understanding of Daniel's connection and influence in and upon the Magi. Now we want to look at when they came and how they knew to come at this special time. So today I want us to actually look at Matthew chapter 2. And I first want to begin the reading in just verses 1 and 2, and then we'll pick up some more later on. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or these magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So right here, they tell us a lot of information. First of all, we noticed that this was after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the days of Herod the king. This means that it wasn't right away when Jesus was born. There was a space of time between Jesus being born and the wise men coming. Jesus had been born by this time some time ago. It was not immediate. Now we need to understand their journey. It was approximately a thousand mile distance, about 900 and something miles. Bible resources say it was approximately 900 miles in Bible days, and the ways of travel for them at that time would have been very treacherous, desert, and mountainous. In that time, it was a dangerous journey. These were treacherous travels. There was fear of Herod. There was fear of robbers. Even Jesus told the story about the robber that beat up the man and left him for dead. And the good Samaritan comes along and finds him and takes care of him. So there was treacherous travels in these days, especially in desert and mountainous areas. There would be robbers along the way. Herod and Herod's army would have been a threat to them. Research indicates that there was tension and conflict between the Roman Empire that was led by King Herod there and the old Parthian Empire or the Persian Empire in the east, the old Persian Empire in the east. We know from research that they were even at war as early as 55 BC. Tensions continued even into the early childhood days of Jesus. The Euphrates River seems to be the division between the two. So the indication from history also is that they would not have traveled alone. 
since they were heading into hostile territory. These magi probably came with an entourage, perhaps even with soldiers. Those would have most likely been necessary, especially as these would have been high up Babylonian or Persian officials, and that would have given them some degree of protection from robbers or from Roman soldiers. There would have been others needed to provide the food and the clothing and provisions for them as they would encamp along the way because it was a thousand mile journey. They did not make it in one day. As a matter of fact, we know from the book of Ezra that it was not a quick journey because Ezra made this trip with some others from Babylon and came to Jerusalem. And it was a several month journey. Let's read about that in Ezra chapter seven. Beginning in verse one, it says this, now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Seraiah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meroah, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. So here we see that he left Babylon the first day of the first month, and he arrives in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. So it took him four months to make this journey. So we know from seeing this example in scripture that the wise men's journey to Bethlehem in Matthew chapter two was not quick, it was not overnight. It took them quite a while to make this journey. Perhaps even some women, one resource noted, possibly accompanied them for cooking and so forth. We don't know this, but we do know that they would have come with an entourage because it was treacherous times. They came in force. They would have been prepared for any trouble that they might encounter. This could explain why it troubled Herod and all Jerusalem when they came. This was not just three kings on three camels with three gifts, like the old song tells us and like we've always grown up believing and thinking. And they did not come to the manger. They were not part of the nativity set. I know we all have nativity sets and we love them and we love the kings being a part of it, but they didn't come back. That was not the time when they came. But they would have come with a whole entourage arriving in Jerusalem. It would have been a big ruckus. But how did they know of his birth? 
Daniel's writings and influence may give us the clue. Because of Daniel's prominence in Babylon and Persia leadership, they would have known his teachings and his writings. We talked in depth about this in the last episode. We saw that the key to that is Daniel chapter 2. We understood why Daniel would have risen to prominence and been so influential in them. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, which we read in the last episode, gave them the clue to alert them to the timing. Because in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, Daniel gave an exact detail on the timing of Messiah's death from the Babylonian captivity. Because in Daniel chapter 9, let's read it again. In Daniel chapter 9, we'll read a portion of verse 24 through 27. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. This is the angel giving the message to Daniel. For your people, the Jewish people, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand, here comes the timeline, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, Jesus, in his birth, up until the time he is revealed as king in the triumphal entry. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. As speaking of the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, and others when they had opposition to rebuilding in Jerusalem, etc., and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And then he goes on and he tells the rest of that prophecy. So Daniel 9, verse 24 through 27, gave the clue to alert them to the timing. It gave them specific details. 69 weeks of seven years per week gave them the 483-year timeline, and they knew when it started. It started when this command went out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in the time frame that's recorded for us in Ezra and Nehemiah, etc., and Esther. So we know that the clock started then, and it went until Messiah the Prince. So this is how they would have known the timing. And also we will get into the start. But this gave them the clue to alert them of the timing. Daniel had given it to them centuries earlier and told them, be watching. This is the timeline. This is when Messiah will come. You need to be aware. And so that prophecy came to Daniel from the Lord giving that exact timeline. And the Magi, because of Daniel's prominence and influence, would have known his teachings, his writings. And we have proof of that by what they say when they come to Jerusalem. Because first of all, they're aware that this new baby that's been born, this new child that's been born, was the promised child, the promised son of Isaiah. He was Messiah the Prince. He was the king of the Jews. He was Daniel's 
coming king. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 2 and pick up the story again, beginning in verse 3 from that point. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now it's interesting because here they upset Herod and all of Jerusalem with this news. Here again, there would have been this big ruckus of an entourage coming, and now they're telling Herod, we know that there's a new king around. Well, Herod was paranoid, I mean like to the hilt. He even killed members of his own family because he was so afraid of somebody taking his throne away. So he tells the scribes, the Pharisees, etc., who are supposed to know the law and know the prophecies, he says, okay, where is this Where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born? Where is this king? Where does it tell us where he's going to be born? And so they go and they search and they find in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that it's Bethlehem of Judea. And so they quote that passage here. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the coming king. How do we know that? Because when David was appointed king, God says in Psalm, I believe it's in Psalm 78, that he promoted David and brought him to lead Israel as king to shepherd his people Israel. So this is talking about the coming king. Verse 7, Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. So we learn here a few things. First of all, the Magi knew that Daniel's king was born, and they knew he was the king of the Jews. So they knew he was in the land of Israel, but they did not know exactly where he was born. They assumed, perhaps, that it was in the capital city of Jerusalem, which is the eternal capital of the Jewish people. And it was in that day, and it still is today. So they made the assumption, perhaps, well, it's a new king, so we go to the existing king. We go to the capital. We go to the place where kings would be born and raised. Perhaps they assumed that because they did go to Jerusalem to King Herod. They may have assumed that he would have been welcomed and hailed as the new king, rallied with pomp and, and circumstance and, and great grandeur. So the scribes are sent then to find the prophecy, and they did in Micah 5, 2, to find the exact location. And the exact location was Bethlehem Ephratah of Judah, the same place that Rachel was buried after the birth of Benjamin when she died in childbirth in that same area. Also notice this. Here's another similarity with David as the king. This is the birthplace and the home place of David, 
the king, which makes it fitting for David's son, the Messiah, king of Israel, the son of David, who would forever rule on the throne. So they, we find out here that they followed a star. First, we need to understand it was his star. That's what they call it. They call it his star. They had never seen this kind of star. These were magi who were skilled in astronomy. They were skilled in observing stars, constellations, comets, etc. And they had never seen this star. It appeared on the scene in this time period and became a guide for them at that time. This was his star. Where does that come from? Let's go back to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 through 19. Balaam is prophesying here. Balaam was called a Transjordanian, meaning he hailed from the area of Mesopotamia near Babylon and Persia. He was a well-known seer in that day, a well-known prophet of some kind, you may call him. And the Magi would have been familiar with Balaam and even through Daniel and the Hebrew scriptures, familiar with Balaam's prophecy through his historical record and their knowledge of him and through Daniel from the Hebrew scriptures. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 through 19, Balaam had been hired to curse Israel, but God would not allow him to curse his people. And so he has to bless them. And in Numbers 24, verse 17 through 19, it says this, Balaam is speaking. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So in here we see a prophecy through Balaam that God gives for Jesus for his first coming and even for his second coming when he will destroy all of the sons of Tumult, all of his enemies. So notice he sees him, but not yet. In other words, not now, not in Balaam's time. He's like, he's coming later. He tells them that there will be a star, a special star, his star, that will come out of Jacob, out of Israel. And there will be a scepter, in other words, this person, this him that Balaam sees in the future to come, will be king because he will have the scepter. The scepter, the king of Israel, will arise. We find out a little bit more about this coming king from the prophetic words given by Jacob in Genesis chapter 49. We know he will come from the tribe of Judah, this same one that Jacob is talking about, that Balaam is prophesying about, that he sees coming in the future, who will be king. So let's read in Genesis 49 verse 8 through 12. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, 
who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, meaning the one to whom it belongs, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So this is the prophetic word for the tribe of Judah, the coming Messiah, the coming king from the tribe of Judah given by Jacob. And it ties to what Balaam is seeing because Balaam understands that this coming one that he sees coming in the future that will have this special star is also the king of Israel, the king of the Jewish people. He is the promised Messiah and he will rule. He will destroy. He will take possession of his territories, prophesying of his first and his second coming. He will be the ruler with dominion, which is the exact same thing that Micah prophesies in Micah chapter 5-2. I want to read that at this time because Micah 5-2 tells us more than just where Jesus would be born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And it doesn't stop there whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So in other words, Micah is giving us a prophetic word from God here that says, this baby that's going to come out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, is going to be king in Israel, but he's not just any baby. He is God himself, the only one who is from of old the only one who is from everlasting. Moses wrote in the Psalms and he said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So Micah here is telling us not only is this a baby that's going to be born in Bethlehem that will be king of Israel, but he will also be God in the flesh. All of this is tied to Jesus and they knew the prophecies. They knew enough of the Hebrew scriptures and they knew his star was arising that would come and arise when he was come on the planet, when he was born. Now, what about this star? Well, many ideas float about. There's some say it's a celestial comet or a junction of planets or whatever. But I want to challenge you with just this question to consider. Could it be that God put a special star a miracle of God for his own son in order to guide these magi who were familiar with stars because they were astronomers and they were also familiar with dreams. So that comes into play again with this magi event when they come to visit Jesus. So possibly could it be even, some have mentioned, the Shekinah glory of God like would appear in the Old Testament when God would rest in the most holy place where God dwelt. Do you see, beloved friend, the old Christmas carol, O Holy Night, 
really is, it really was a holy night when God himself came in the flesh and rested as a baby in that manger. Perhaps that star was the Shekinah glory of God, like in the Old Testament tabernacle when God would dwell between the cherubim. Could it now be appearing and resting over that manger when Jesus was born and over the holy house where God the Son was now dwelling in Bethlehem by the time that these magi came? Note that the magi did refer to it as his star. So just consider that. I think it's very, very probable and possible. Going back to Matthew, continuing this account, beginning in verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. He's quoting Hosea in that passage. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So here we're given several more details about this encounter. When the Magi make this thousand mile journey through treacherous territory and come with their entourage to Jerusalem, finding out from Herod, from the prophets, Micah, and so on, that he was to be born in Bethlehem. So they continue following the star to Bethlehem, to the house. Notice that in this passage we find out, remember Herod had asked them about when that star had appeared. And so now we have a clue as to what the Magi's response was. Approximate age of Jesus at this time would have been possibly as much as two years old. We know that he was the young child. We hear that referred to many times in this passage. We've just read it, the young child. The Greek word there is indicating a little boy. It's not a baby. There was a different word for the infant in the manger. But this is a young child, a little boy. 
most likely a toddler of up to about two years of age, perhaps 18 months, somewhere around in there. So based on this approximate timing of two years, Herod then, because he is so paranoid and he will destroy anything that he feels is a threat to him, evil Herod has all the baby boys killed from two years and under in Bethlehem. Now you have to think about this. Bethlehem was a small town at the time. So we're probably talking about 20 to 30 families or so maybe that were affected at that time. But even one is too many. God cares about every baby. He created them and he loves the children. That's proven over and over in the scriptures. So God cared about the grief in that city. And it was a fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. But this helps us understand why Herod would have chosen that age. So we know that in some way the age limit was given to be about two years old. So when the star appeared was about two years prior to this. And Herod chooses then to kill all baby boys in Bethlehem two years and under. Now let's talk about what these magi brought and why they brought it. We'll continue with this in lesson four of this series and there we will look at the mysterious gifts. We want to understand more about their visit and what they brought and why they brought it. So we will pick that up in the last episode and conclude this Babylon to Bethlehem series. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.